Romans chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 1 for context. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus to do what we couldn't do, to pay the debt he did not owe because we could not pay it, Lord. Just bless this reading. Bless the words of your word, Lord, as Jackie explains them to us today, that we might receive all that you have for us from this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And what a good morning. God is good, isn't he? All the time. You guys are so good. Well, as we as we continue to to go through, I I want to give you a little bit of encouragement. <clears throat> a guy I know took ten years to get through the Book of Romans, and we're way ahead of schedule according to his. <laughs> the other encouragement I want to give you is is this idea that the things that we're looking at here are so vital. I hate to be in a hurry in a rush, and somebody doesn't understand it doesn't comprehend what it is that we're talking about as you're sitting there in in romans chapter 8 just flip over to chapter 1 and remember where we came from and in chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 we have the the theme of the book if you will the, the 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 verse the key verse of romans it says for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the gospel of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The principles of the righteousness of God, the first eight chapters of Romans deal with that. And and here in a week or two when we finish up chapter 8, 
and we, we conclude that section, we'll move into a little more of the practical things. But today, as we are working our way through, I just want to make sure we're on solid ground. There's some real practical things that, that Paul talks about there in Romans chapter 8 that I don't want us to miss. But we've got to remember where we've come from and the reason behind the scriptures that we're reading. In the first three chapters, the scripture declares to us that all creation is guilty before God. Not most, not some, not only the really bad guys, all of creation, everyone born on earth. We're guilty. We're guilty of refusing to love the most lovely, refusing to honor the most honorable, refusing to value that which is most valuable. We find that Scripture declares to us that we are under condemnation and thereby children of wrath, awaiting the wrath of God with no expectancy that we deserve other than that. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, This is the condemnation. This, specifically, that light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. We are broken. We have a bend. I don't have to think of something sarcastic. It just pops into my mind. But I have to work at finding something good to say. It's natural to do that which is evil. It's supernatural to do that which is good. And so mankind finds himself condemned. But chapter 3 through 5 tell us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That while we're in that state of brokenness, guilty of not loving that which is most lovable and not valuing that which is most valuable, of not honoring that which is most honorable. He sent His Son to take upon Himself our failure, our sin. And He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. That's the miracle of justification. That God traveled distances we can't even begin to fathom or understand in order that He might come and present Himself the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for every man, woman, and child that has ever been born or ever will be born. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay All that debt. It is only efficient to him who believes. See, when we believe, put our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, his sinless life, and his substitute sacrifice for me, then God makes me righteous. I don't become righteous. It's not like a, 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 a somebody snapped their fingers. I would do it, but I can't snap my fingers. There's a good one. Who did a good one? Oh, Gary. You're, every time I point. Okay. Because <laughs> I need, so every once in a while, I need somebody to snap for me. So you got to be here. That's the way. <clears throat> so it's, it's just like that. I don't become righteous. I don't become righteous like that. But Jesus becomes my righteousness. He covers me. 
down below the covering of Christ, I'm still a sinner. Okay, justification does not perfect us. Justification makes us right with God. And it's solely a work by which Jesus Christ and God the Father declare me righteous. Not that I earned it. I receive it by faith. Everybody with me? That's how we are all saved. Anyone ever for all time will ever be saved by faith in the finished work of Christ. He did the work. I trust Him. He justifies me. I am righteous before God. I am, however, not always righteous to my brother. I know, it's a shock. The first chapters 3 through 5 tell us or speak to us about justification, but 6 and 7 speak to us about the next part. Sanctification. Remember, justification is God's covering over the gap between my, my uh, um, presence in Christ and my performance before everybody else. His justification covers the gap. God doesn't see that gap. But we see that gap. But when we come to sanctification, in sanctification we see that it's the act of God by which He, God, separates me from the world. He separates me from the world by this incredible thing that we have got to grasp. He lives in me. That makes me different from everybody else. Christ in you. The hope of glory. He he comes in me. and, And instead of external expectations of the law, I have an internal empowerment... Where my desires change, my attitude changes, and I, day by day, moment by moment, become more and more like Christ. So sanctification closes the gap between my, my uh, presence in Christ and my performance. It, it closes the gap. It's still His work inside of me. That was chapter 6 and 7. It's, it's the work of Christ in me that sets me free from sin. That I am dead to sin, I no longer live in it. It's the work of Christ in me that sets me free from the law that we talked about in Romans chapter 7. It's the work of Christ that is accomplishing all those things. But when we come to chapter 8, there are two things. I was going to focus just on glorification, but, but I have decided not to. I, I added one. I want to focus on two. Security and glorification. Security is a concept spoken of in Romans chapter 8 by which I am held secure in my salvation by the hands of God Almighty. God never loses one of His own. Nobody goes, bloop, oop, accidentally I lost my salvation. That's not, that doesn't happen. We are secure in Christ. In fact, we'll see it when we get to verse 30, but let's look there real quick. In Romans 8, uh, actually 8 verse 9, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you are his, fully and completely. And that kind of leads into glorification, which is going to be down in verse 30. Glorification is the final state of our salvation. We were condemned, but God sent His Son, and we've been justified, sanctified. We have security by the Holy Spirit, and we are going to be glorified when we see Him face to face. 
It's the act by which God removes us from the presence of sin. So if justification covers the gap, sanctification closes the gap, glorification removes the gap altogether. There is no gap. In fact, we see it in verse 30 of chapter 8. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, what does it say? He also glorified. So if you have been justified, you will be glorified. God will finish what He has started. Doesn't the Word declare that to us? That if I have begun a good work in you, most of the time, 96% of the time, I finish it? That's not what it says, is it? If I've begun a good work in you, I will see it to completion, right? So if He has begun the work of salvation in us, will He finish it? Who works the work of salvation, me or Him? So who does it depend on? That's right. Depends on Jesus Christ. Depends on His might and power. Not my own. It's Him. It's Him working in me. If you can live your life at peace with everything in the world, I don't know if you really have Christ in you. Because Christ in me can't be at peace with all that stuff. All that stuff is... Is issue, it's problem, it's warfare. But here's where the church gets sideways. The church has always done this. I think we as people always want to do this. What is it that the church always does? It looks at all the sin out there and it starts pointing its finger about what's wrong with everybody else. You know, nowhere in the scripture it tells us to do that. The war here that we're going to talk about is with me and my sin. But if I focus out there, I don't have to focus in here, right? If I focus on what's wrong with homosexuality, which is absolutely sin, but if I spend all my time focusing on that and I don't focus in here, what good is it? It's a clanging gong. It's a noisy cymbal. doesn't accomplish any good because in my heart, I haven't chose to deal with this sin in here. And that's the challenge. In Romans 8, it's not with everybody else. In Romans 8, it's me. How do I live a life fulfilling the law of Christ? How do I live a life that's pleasing to God? How do I live a life that shows me the truth that Christ is in me? That's Romans chapter 8. But if we... If we rush, we, we, we can miss it. I don't want us to miss it. He says in, in verse 3, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His only Son. Right? So the law, could, I can't do it by, by willpower. I can't make myself want to be better. I can't make myself do the right things. I can't do it that way. God had to send His Son. It's Jesus who saves me. I can't save myself. Are you with me? So, so it's not necessarily by those, by those works that I'm able to, to accomplish these things. But he, he says, he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned it. He condemned sin in the flesh. We go on, verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who what? Who, who walk according, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's that phrase again. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh do what? 
set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is hostile against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we talked about all that last week. So I'm not going to go way into it, but I just want to reverse it for you so that you see it's the steps that we take of salvation. If I start at 8, when I was in the flesh, I was hostile toward God. I was an enemy of God Almighty. That's where we begin life in creation. That's where we begin in our condemnation. Hostile toward God. But then, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I have the life of the Spirit within me. We see that in verse 6. The life of the Spirit that begins to take hold. In verse 5, we should see that the life of the Spirit sets a spiritual mindset where my mind is on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. So I have a new way of looking at things because I have the Spirit of Christ living inside of me. And because of that new way of looking at things, I have a new walk. The old walk was the walk of the flesh. The new walk is what? The walk of the Spirit. I have a new walk, a walk of the Spirit. In that new walk, what does it accomplish? It fulfills the law. You remember how? All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this saying, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the law. Romans 5 tells us that the love of God is poured into our hearts, dumped into our hearts, By the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inside of me gives me a new attitude, a new mindset, a new walk, and is expressed in love. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. How you love each other. That's how they're going to know that I'm His Disciple. It's exactly what he's talking about in the scripture here. Exactly what he's saying. So we move from hostility to life in the spirit, to a new walk in the spirit, to fulfillment from the law. That's all accomplished because of my relationship with Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his spirit, which is what Romans 8 is all about. That indwelling of his spirit gives me the life of the spirit. It gives me the inner desire of the Spirit, a new walk in the Spirit, and the fulfillment of the law. He does it. So if you have faith in Christ, that's already in you. But you also are a divided man or woman, aren't you? You have other desires in you? And that's what he goes on to discuss as we work our way through the Scriptures. Let's pick it up in, in verse 10. In verse 10 of, uh, of Romans chapter 8. Well, let's back up just so we can understand. Verse 9, he says, But in, in great contrast to those who are walking according to the flesh, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Is it possible to be saved without the Holy Spirit in your life? It is not possible to be saved without the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit enter into the lives of the disciples. Uh, uh, I don't know why everybody has, a, or I don't, everybody doesn't. I don't know why people have a problem with it. When God said in Genesis 1-1, let there be light, what happened? Where was light, right? There was light. When Jesus said in John chapter 20, when he breathed on the disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, what happened? He waited for 50 days. No, he did not. They got the Spirit right then. They were saved at that moment. The Holy Spirit came into their life and they had the life of the Spirit. And they had the battle inside of them now between the Spirit and the flesh. But Jesus said, wait here until you have been endowed with power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, epi, overflowed into your life. When that power comes on you, you will be ready for ministry. When that power comes on you, you'll be ready for ministry. He didn't say that's when the Holy Spirit will be in you. The Holy Spirit is in you the moment you by faith receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have the Holy Spirit. He is in you. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not His. And there's a lot of folks that want to run around and tell you for sure how to know you have the Holy Spirit. Some people will say you'll know you have the Holy Spirit if you can speak in tongues. I can fake that. I can fake that. You'll know you have the Holy Spirit if you prophesy. I can fake that too. You'll know you have the Holy Spirit when the things we're talking about in Romans chapter 8 you see in your life. And the, the, the thing, the part of the Spirit that has the greatest premium is not tongues or prophecy or healing and all those things are for today and happen today. The greatest thing to see in the life of a believer that they have the Holy Spirit is love. Love love is not natural. Not God's love. God's love is supernatural. He loved the world and didn't expect anything in return. He died for the world. That the world might be saved. But did He make anybody do it? He left it out to whosoever will. Whoever will receive the free gift that is being offered, to them they will be called the sons of God. To as many as believe on His name. The love of God is a supernatural love. Let's look at verse 10. And we'll see the confidence. We see the walk of the Spirit, the mindset of the Spirit, the enmity or the hostility toward God, right? Not valuing the valuable, not loving the lovable, uh, not honoring the honorable, not doing any of those things. Now we see the confidence of the Spirit in verse 10. Look what it says. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life. Because of righteousness. That's a great description of my life. My body is dead. When he's talking about the body, he's talking about our old man, our old nature. The old desires. 
They've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The old man is not on the throne. He's been moved from the throne. The body is dead because of sin. The only chance, the only way that I have to fight is because I have the Spirit. And you see where it says, but the Spirit is life because of, right there where it says righteousness, you can freely put the word justified. I have been justified. I am, I have life because of justification. It's the same word, righteousness and justification. It's the same word. You look in different Bible translations, you'll see it. What's he, what's he saying? Because I've been justified. Because I have a right relationship with God. Because that is right. I have life. I have the Spirit. The old man is still death. But inside of me now I have a means by which I can fight. By which I can do battle. By which I can, by which I can join in. Part of the, be part of the, the process. See, justification is essential. Sin brings death. Righteousness brings life. But look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. The power of the Holy Spirit brings security and confidence for the future. The Holy Spirit in you is a guarantee that you're going to be resurrected. That you'll be part of the resurrection. Daniel told us there is a resurrection of the dead. There's a resurrection of the evil. And there's a resurrection of the righteous. And that we're part of the resurrection of the righteous is confirmed by the presence in the believer of the Holy Spirit. He who raised Christ from the dead. Just an interesting side note. We won't chase it down too far. But in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, somewhere around 19 and 20, the Scripture tells us that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. In John 10, 18, the Scripture tells us that God the Son raised Jesus from the dead. In Romans 8, 11, the Scripture tells us that it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. A lot of people will say, nowhere in the Bible is the word Trinity found. You're right. They just give three different persons the same attributes. I don't care. You call it whatever you want. I don't know what else you're going to call it. Knock yourself out. But that's the Trinity. That's the triune God. Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Echad, unified, together. So we see that declaration here. In the Spirit, we have... So walking in the Spirit, we have the power of the Spirit. It brings security. We see the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's it's our confidence. It's our confidence that I'm saved. I have the Holy Spirit. I know I'm saved. The, the power of the Spirit gives me security. And then we come to the two verses. See, I told you, we're already to 13 almost. i got 20 minutes. Therefore, brethren... We are debtors. This is the key. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 12, and 13 describe for us how we can achieve victory in the battle against sin in our life. It tells us. It lays it all out for us. It speaks to us and says we are debtors. That means we owe a debt. And I would say we owe a debt to both. We owe a debt to the flesh. The debt we owe to the flesh is constant warfare. Constant. No days off. Constant warfare to the flesh. I don't want to be a debtor to my destroyer. I don't want to uh, continue to pay a debt to the flesh and find myself paying for my own destruction. That's what the Word declares. To live according to the flesh, you will die. My flesh has been trying to kill me from the day I was born. And it will not ever stop. The flesh is at enmity, hostile toward God. Your flesh, my flesh, don't matter who. All flesh is hostile toward God. I also owe a debt to the Spirit. The debt I owe to the Spirit, I owe the Spirit everything. I owe it everything. I owe Him everything. He is going to make me alive after the resurrection. We just read that verse. It's He who gives us victory over sin by the Spirit. And it is He, the Holy Spirit, that gives uh, the, the, the perseverance that is necessary in a daily war against the flesh. So I owe a debt. To the flesh, I owe a debt of warfare. Constant warfare. To the Spirit, I owe a debt of everything. Because every good thing in my life passes through His hands. Every good thing comes through Him. Here's the problem, guys. We are to be at war against the flesh. But so many people play at their Christianity and they live their Christianity without vigilance. They live their Christianity without passion. They live their Christianity without the pursuit after holiness. And if we can be satisfied in that place, if we can be satisfied without warfare, that's a scary place to be. There's no life there, the Bible says. No life. You live according to the flesh, you will die. Death, that's it. No life. I want to remind you what Jesus said. Jesus, I always love what Jesus said because nobody ever wants to argue after Jesus said it. So uh, I, I, I could make a case that he said every word in the book because Jesus said something like that. But we'll leave that for a later discussion. And let's look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, around verse 7 through 9, Jesus had a teaching. A lot of people said, man, this is a, this is a hard thing, a difficult thing that Jesus is laying out for us in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 7, he says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better 
for you to enter into life maimed rather than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better that you enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. This is, this is my point. I think this is a picture of a radical assault against your sin. Not others. It doesn't say if you see a brother sin and go cut off his hand. This is a radical warfare, a radical assault against your sin. Not others, mine. How I am to do warfare. To walk in the Spirit. And this is what these verses are, are talking about. I think there are three questions when we look at this Scripture. Hopefully, when you guys looked at the, this Scripture, these three questions pop to your mind. These are my three. Number one, what are the deeds of the body that we are to put to death? Number two, what does it mean to mortify or put them to death? What does that look like? And three, how do we do this by the Spirit? That's the key. So he describes to us how we can walk in the Spirit, what it looks like, how we should do that. He's told us right here in 12 and 13. All we have to do is make application, understand, ask the question, see what it is he's telling us, and then go. And watch the work that God is able to accomplish in us. So what are the deeds of the body? I think he spoke to us about this in Romans chapter 6. So just flick your finger to the... Which way? Well, go left. Go left to, to chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, six, uh, 13, 12, and, and verse 6. Okay? Romans 6, 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. These are the deeds we are about to do when our bodies as instruments are becoming instruments of unrighteousness. It's not the things we have already done. It's the things that we're struggling with to do. These, this is the deeds of the body. Look at verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you would obey it in its lusts. What's the point? When the body is taken captive by sin, that's where we see the deeds of the body. The body is taken captive by sin, and then the instruments of our body, our, our different parts of our body, whether it's our eyes, our nose, our mouth, depending on what we're doing, those things become the deeds of the body that are headed toward uh, unrighteousness. We look at verse 6. We can know this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. This is key because it means that we can break the power of all canceled sin. So think about that. We can break the power of all canceled sin. Well, what's canceled sin? Everything that died with Jesus on the cross. So if it died 
with Jesus, it's done. You can break its power according to the Scripture. We're to put to death the deeds of the body. Before we sin, we have parts of our body, our mind is, is, comes into the play, and we have an understanding that Jesus had, has given us that which we need to overcome it. He's done it. Jesus Christ has done that perfect work. So, so let me kind of put it together. The deeds of the body are those deeds we are about to do when prompted by sin or lust or unrighteousness. The things we're about to do. That's the deeds of the body. So what does it mean to put it to death? What does that mean? I think putting it to death means we suffocate the sinful deeds. We cut off the blood supply. Put a tourniquet on it till it falls off. Do not supply life to those deeds of the body. Look at Matthew 15. If you're still in Matthew, just flip over a little bit. Matthew 15:18 through 20. Listen to what Jesus said because here's what we need to understand. Bad fruit comes from a bad root. So how do I kill bad fruit? I don't pick it. If I pick bad fruit, what happens? There'll be more fruit. So how do I get rid of the bad fruit? I kill the bad root. What's the bad root? Matthew 15 tells us, Matthew 15, 18 through 20. <clears throat> Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy. These are the things that defile a man. Not to eat with unwashed hands. In other words, he's telling us it's a heart issue. In order to kill the bad fruit, you got to sever the bad root. This is how it is killed. So what is the bad root? Look again at Romans 8 verse 7. Look at it. Because the carnal mind is hostile against God. For it is not subject to the law, nor indeed can be. So the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. The root is the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mind set on the things of the flesh. So again, we look, what is it to put to death? To choke that out, to stop feeding it, to cut off its sustenance, its air supply, its blood supply. But it's not the fruit that we focus on, it's the root which is the fleshly mind. So then we come to the most important part. How do we do this by the Spirit? Isn't that what He asked us to do? When we look at Romans chapter 8, He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the deeds of the body are those things we're about to do when we present our instruments of uh, the instruments of our body as tools of unrighteousness. The means to kill it is to cut off the supply to the fleshly mind. For it's the fleshly mind that is the root of the bad fruit. So how do we do it by the Spirit? I think there's three things that Scripture tells us and are key to our being able to walk in victory and walk in the Spirit. And understand, wow, there in that is my guarantee, my understanding, my 
my ability to hold on to my salvation, being secure that I have the Holy Spirit within me, being confident that He's going to glorify me one day, that God hasn't finished His work in me. First, how do we do this by the Spirit? By setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Just back up, Romans 8, 5 and 6, look at it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look, we cannot just look at the temptation and yell at the temptation. No! That, that's something that we should do, but we, that's not the, the only thing that we do. We do that. But if you're going to to put it to death by the Spirit, we have to do more. We have to direct our mind, our heart, our spiritual focus in another direction. That's how I set my mind on the things of the Spirit. That's the first thing we have to do. We have to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. I have to direct my mind, my heart, my spiritual focus in another direction toward the Spirit. That's the first part of putting to death the deeds of, of the body getting away from walking in the flesh. The second thing, set your mind on the words of God and the reality that they stand for. This phrase, this phrase that we're going to discuss, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is only ever repeated one other place in the Bible. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, another book written by Paul. In verse 13, this is what he says. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The things of the Spirit are the Word of God spoken, or in this case, written by His apostles. The Bible that is sitting on our lap, that's how we set our mind on the words of God and the reality that they stand for. Think about it. What does it tell us about the Spirit of God? The only weapon in our arsenal in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. What's it tell us? It says to put on the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body, I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body, then I'm going to utilize the only weapon that God has given us. And it's not to hack somebody else up. It's to do surgery on myself. The sword of the Spirit applied to the deeds of the body. The Word of of God is the things of the Spirit, to have our minds set on the things of the Spirit. And then there's one last part of it, one last part. The other thing that we need to have is the hearing of faith, not works of the law. The hearing of faith. Galatians 3.5 Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith. Why hearing of faith? Why not hearing by faith? 
Look, he wants to emphasize that what faith hears, receives, and embraces is something heard, the Word of God. He wants to emphasize that the power of the victory is coming from the Word of God, not you. The power to achieve victory is not your willpower, your ability. It is your willingness to hear with faith what the Word of God is saying. And there comes the victory. That's how the victory works. Let me give you an illustration. I found an illustration from a a missionary couple. They had three kids. um, And they were sent to a, a country in Africa. Um, the country that they're sent to is so sensitive you cannot mention it. We've experienced missionaries sent to places where you, you can't say they're a missionary there. It's not legal for them to be there. This is from one of their letters. And it's a clear example of how to put sin to death. To put the body of sin to death by the things that we just talked about. How do we do it? Listen to what they said. Whereas the constitution of this country may state one thing, the word of God says the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Where fear says, what if something happens? Faith says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. When worry surfaces, faith responds. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. When doubt and frustration scoff, they'll never change. This is a waste of time. Jesus looks us in the eye and responds, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do you listen to what they're doing? The desire for sin, to be frustrated, to be angry, to give up, to quit, is there in all the things that they're facing. And they're not afraid to name it. They name it. This is the thing. This country is against us. But right next to it, they put the promise of God. And with the hearing of faith, they believe the promise of God more than the circumstance. That's what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. To put to death the deeds of the body, to kill them, to wipe them out. Choke out the power that it has. Look, once upon a time, uh, I wasn't this cheery guy that you see now. (laughs) I was a guy that had a lot of problems, a lot of struggles. Messed up, family... Um, most people don't make it through what me and Kathy been through. So, in fact, I don't know anybody. Um, but I still had a struggle. I needed to change, and I had problems that I couldn't quit. I had things I couldn't stop doing. I had this body of sin in me, this body of death, Constantly wanting to lead me down the path of destruction. But then I had the spirit of life in me saying, that's not the way to go anymore. And I needed to to find a way to walk in the spirit so that I wouldn't fulfill the desires of the flesh. I had to learn to put to death 
the deeds of the body. And it's so simple. And I found it before I ever understood that it was found in the Bible. In Romans chapter 8. I started to carry around in my back pocket. New Testament. And every time. I was faced with a temptation. Where I could feel sin rising up in my body to lead me. In its lust. I didn't make an excuse. I didn't do something else. I stopped where I was. You can call the city of Palm Springs. They probably still remember. I stopped where I was. I pulled out my Bible. And I read it. Until I could feel the promises of God. Washing away. The filth that was in my mind. And when the promises of God. Washed it away. I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. I closed that Bible and I put it in my pocket. Prior to that time, I never kept a promise to my wife. Except to break her heart. I never changed. Nothing ever went a different direction. Didn't matter going to church. Didn't matter singing songs. Didn't matter doing all that stuff. I could not find the power. The Bible said the power's there, that I don't have to do that sin anymore, but the power to find it. I had to realize that this life is war. And I can't just try to live at peace with my flesh and talk nice to it. Oh, it's okay, flesh, you didn't mean that. I can't do that. I go to war. I still do it today. I think that's what the Bible's talking about when it says you walk in the Spirit. That's our guarantee that I'm willing to do the warfare. Here's the problem. A lot of people come with struggles against sin, struggles in addiction, and problems in their life. And they got all these problems. And it's incredible how many of them know that every solution won't work. It doesn't work. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Yeah, you're probably right. Then we need to start with a relationship with Christ. Because if you have a relationship with Christ and you're justified, everything works. The Spirit of God is in you. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, and if you will do this battle by the Spirit, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not my willpower. It's not something I do with my arms. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. God does it. All these things we talked about. My deliverance from sin. My salvation. My sanctification. My glorification. My security in Christ. None of it hinges on me. All of it hinges on Him. So if in our warfare we make peace with our flesh... That's why in Romans chapter 6 it says, you cannot live in sin and say you're a believer. Because Christ in you is going to be doing somersaults to get you out. So if you can make peace with it, then you're not His. Don't be deceived. And the worst kind of deception 
is the kind that we do to ourselves. I deceive myself. I got to put to death the deeds of the body. But I don't do it by willpower. I don't do it with some self-help program. I put to death the deeds of the body by making them come in line to the Word of God. There's a famine of the Word of God in the church today. There's a famine of the Word of God in the church today. That's why the church is weak. That's why the church is struggling in sin. That's why we don't see the power. That's why we don't see the things that we saw before. Because there is a famine of the Word in church today. Amos told us that it would come. The psalmist described what it would be like. And we find ourselves in the midst of it. And we make excuses and we say, well, it's just too hard. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Look, I'll, I'll get you any translation you want. I'll stand on my head to find one that you can read. But I learned this from school, from my English teacher. I get out what I want to get out of what I read. If I want to understand, I want to know, and I want to see, and I want to put the work in to do it, Look, if you take a shovel to the Word of God, you get gold. You take a rake, you get leaves. If you're frustrated because all you got is leaves, maybe you need to take a shovel. And if you're taking a shovel, that means you got to dig. You're going to get dirty. You're going to have to get down on your hands and knees. You're probably going to have to pray and ask God for understanding, which is always a great place to start. But if you want to put to death the deeds of the body to choke out their life, you do it by pouring the Word of God in here, Elijah, the school of the prophets. <clears throat> Was it Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. I always get them confused. They, why do they name them so close together? <laughs> that reminds me, why do people do that with twins? They always got to rhyme. I can't think of any right now, but they do it. Anyway, so Elisha is at the school of the prophets. The school of the prophets is making this, this meal. And they, and they put a bunch of junk and they pull a bunch of plants. You guys remember the story? They take a bunch of plants and they put it all in the pot. They're making goulash. And they have no idea what they're doing, obviously. Because somebody tastes it. And they shriek. Ah! There's death in the pot! There's death in the... Now, I don't know if it's literally death. because Or it just tastes so bad, nobody's going to eat it. And Elisha comes up to the people and he says, what's the matter? And all the little prophets, all the baby prophets that are going to grow up to be big prophets like Elisha. They say, we've been making this stew and we put a bunch of stuff in it. But man, we need to just throw it away. And Elisha says, no, you don't. Put the meal in it. Put some meal. Flour. The bread. Put a little of that bread in there. Just keep putting it in. Put a little more in. A little more in. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And as they poured the word of God into that pot, it became living, not death. You want your life to be living. You must stop the famine of the word of God in your life. You want to get victory over the things that you have problems with in addictions. You must pour in the Word of God. You must pour in the Word. You don't do it. You cannot complain. You want victory. 
You want to know that you know that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The Bible says the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. It's the supernatural man, the man in whom the Holy Spirit resides. Ah, that man. He discovers that in a daily diet of the Word of God, he finds satisfaction. I want to do battle with the flesh. That's how you do it. And that's how you achieve the victory by the Spirit. By the Spirit. God does it. Now I guarantee every one of us in here got something we need deliverance from. Every single one. You say, I don't know if I got anything. Then you need to ask somebody next to you. They'll tell you. <laughs> we all need victory. You want that victory? Then you're going to find it by a steady diet of the Word of God. Nothing else could change my life. Nothing else would change who I was. Nothing else would change what I was going to be. When my wife went and talked to a, to a counselor, the counselor said, leave that guy as soon as you can. He will never change. I wish we could find him. <laughs> I wish we could find him. But none of that stuff would change me. None of that stuff would do anything in me. Until I poured Christ in. Until I w- was His my faith and trust in Him, justified, sanctified, secure, going to be glorified, and I started to pour His Word in, that's when this body of death became a body of life. And that's what God wants to do for you.